Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. What if I told you there is a way to justify eating carbs based on the Bible? Man, I'm like whooping out biblical scripture every time someone says I've eaten too many carbs during lockdown because Jesus alludes to carbs as part of what should be our everyday consumption when he says in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Can I get an amen? But let's not make carbs the focus today, but God's word. In the scripture, Jesus is comparing the sustenance of bread, a staple in our human diet, to the word of God in our spiritual lives. This is important because we often lack the spiritual sustenance of God's word in our personal lives as it falls to the bottom of our list of priorities. Today is a standalone before we go into the start of Palm Sunday and Easter. And so it's a great opportunity for me to speak into the one area of our spiritual lives that should be a priority, the Bible. Now, the Barna Group did a survey on what Christians think, believe, and feel, in which only 17% said the Bible is the medium or resource that has the greatest influence on their decisions. Another article I read described how in one study of 50, 18 to 30-year-olds, 72% said their biblical knowledge came mainly from being taught, primarily in sermons. In the second um, Uh, In the second study done seven years later, that number reached 89%. In other words, if they hadn't heard a biblical text taught or preached on, the vast majority of these young adults reported they didn't know the Bible. Let's think about that when we think back to Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 and ask ourselves, if God's word was what sustained my physical being, Would I still be alive? So, today we want to renew our priority to God's word. Because man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I want to start with the most basic question. What is the Bible? The word Bible itself is simply a transliteration of the Greek biblos, meaning book. This word is so appropriate because although the Bible is made up of 66 books between the Old and the New Testaments, written by some 40 different authors over a period of around 1,600 years, it supernaturally culminates into one doctrinal system, one moral standard, and one plan of salvation. These books make one book. Thus, we have the Bible. Now, Just the fact that one book could come together beyond the limitations of one man through the boundaries of time and history reveals that this is more than a storybook. Theologian Henry Thiessen wrote, In view of the contents and unity of the Bible, we seem obliged to conclude that it is the embodiment of a divine revelation. What men could have originated such a world and life view? What authors could have set it forth in such a harmonious and self-consistent form? We hold, therefore, that the character of the Bible proves it to be the embodiment of a divine revelation. The Bible is a divine revelation of God. 
In line with this understanding, theologian John Stott speaks of three words that describe our belief in Scripture, and these will be the three words that guide my teaching on the Bible today. The words are revelation, inspiration, and providence. The first word, revelation. Well, the written word of God bears witness to the revelation of God through Christ. It bears witness because it's a documentation of historical events. This means we need to understand the Bible as documented history and not just a storybook. Now, one of the ways we confirm historical facts is through the evidence of discovered manuscripts and archaeology. And the most copies of ancient manuscripts discovered and accepted as documenting history outside of the Bible is 20. The number of manuscripts as evidence of the New Testament's witness are over 20,000. And on top of this, archaeological evidence also confirms much of the biblical accounts. Dr. Nelson Gluick, a modern authority on Israeli archaeology, has said, No archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. Here's my rap for you today. The Bible is the revelation of God through Christ's incarnation, documented and brought together by men under God's inspiration for our salvation. Revelation was the first word describing our belief in Scripture. The Bible is the revelation of God through Christ's incarnation. And the second word is inspiration, which speaks into how Jesus' life was documented alongside other historical events. Where revelation is the communication of truth that can't be discovered otherwise, inspiration is the recording of the truth. And we believe this recording of the truth was guided by the Holy Spirit moving through the minds of men, inspiring the writing. Inspiration. And this is where I want us to look at how the Old and New Testament come together. Now, the selection of the books that belong in the Old and New Testaments is known as the canon of Scripture. Canon means rule. In other words, the way God wants man to read what God has to say to him. These books were brought together to create one message from Genesis to Revelation and were inspired by the sovereign spirit of God in man, inspiration. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 to 17 in the New Testament says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It starts by saying all scripture, old and new, inspired by God. And then it says all these scriptures are God-breathed. God-breathed here is the word inspiration, which means breathing out. The Bible was written and put together under divine inspiration from God. And the canon of the Old Testament was formed first. This was done by the Jews themselves. They learned men gathered together all the nation's sacred writings and under divine guidance made one work of them. So how does the Old Testament canon meet the New Testament and leave us with one revelation? Well, the Old Testament prepares for the new. Think about it like this. A kid has dreamt of having a radio-controlled helicopter. His dad buys him one and he takes it out, the packaging, fills it with petrol and starts its little motor and just tries to fly it. What would happen? 
It would crash. Why? Because he didn't spend any time in preparing for the controls and working of the remote control to make sense. The potential of the helicopter's ability to fly and bring him hours of enjoyment would be lost by lack of understanding and preparation. It's a bit like the Old Testament. If we haven't embraced, read, and processed the Old Testament, there are many aspects of the New Testament's power we could miss because the Old Testament prepares us for the New. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 19 in the New Testament says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. St. Augustine described the two edges of the sword as one being the Old Testament and the other the New Testament. Both work together to produce the power, the double-edged sword. The Old Testament prepares and equips you to possess what's revealed in the New Testament. And what, that might, what may, might that be that's revealed in the New Testament and possessed because of how the Old Testament has prepared us? Well, in the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament, man falls into sin through the rebellious acts of a man called Adam. And man is separated from intimacy with God and God comes seeking Adam. And we read of that moment in Genesis 3 verse 9. It says, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? These are the words of a good father in anguish over losing his child. Right at the beginning of the Old Testament. From the beginning of man's creation in the book of Genesis, the story of God's redemption began. The story of a father willing to do anything to restore his children to his side after being separated because of sin. That story, starting in Genesis, would be fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus. Because the desperate anguish of a good father would lead him into giving his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life in a restored relationship with God the Father. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we see God promise the restoration of this blessing over us to a man called Abraham. And from there, the historical moments of deliverance are documented in the rest of the Old Testament. The exodus from Egypt, the establishment of God's people in the land of Canaan, and the exile and return from captivity. And the directions for religious practices with sacrifices in an attempt to restore our right standing with God. But, as the New Testament says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4, For it is not possible for the sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats, to take away sins. Right here, the New Testament is written in context of the Old Testament activity, whereby the priests would make sacrifices with bulls and goats in an attempt to be made right with God. You can see how the Old and New Testament meet in that example. The Old Testament provides the historical background by which we're able to understand the New. This is apparent in the fact that the New Testament contains over 600 references or allusions to the Old. Jesus and the apostles constantly refer to it in their teaching. So, the Old Testament reveals God's heart for restoring us in relationship with Him, delivering us from our enemies and leading us toward His promise. 
but it closes without satisfaction for our sins. Because as Hebrews 10 verse 4 told us, the religious practice of sacrifices made by man in the Old Testament was not sufficient to take away our sin. And therefore it prepares us leaving us with the longing for final deliverance, the expectation of the coming Messiah who could save us, as documented in the last book in the Old Testament of Malachi 3 verse 1, when it says, The Lord who rules over all says, I will send my messenger. He will prepare my way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you are looking for will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant will come. He is the one you long for. Now, from the close of the Old Testament, no further scripture would be written until the next greatest moment in history occurred. The coming of the Messiah spoken of in Malachi, whose blood would take away the sins of the world, unlike the insufficient blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament. And so, the beginning of the narrative of the New Testament would only start about 400 years later, and its canon would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to specific men who gathered together with councils of religious and wise men to discuss them. It took several hundred years to get them arranged in their present form, and the New Testament starts with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the word gospel meaning good news. Hey guys! You know that longing you had for salvation that was not met with the insufficiency of blood, of the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament? Well, good news. The one who is able to save you from your insufficiency is here. One of the most significant declarations of this, with the backdrop of the Old Testament's longing for the Savior, is expressed in the words of John the Baptist, documented in John's Gospel, when he shouts to the people at the sight of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Good news, guys. Here he is. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New revealed. The first of the four Gospels in the New Testament is the Gospel of Matthew. This Gospel is a bridge between the Old and New Testaments. Matthew shows how Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies and that his church is the fulfillment of the history of Israel. Although the Old Testament documents the work of God's redemption among the Israelites, it was never planned to be bound to this people group alone, but was planned to be made available to all mankind. Prophecies in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 49 verse 6, describe how God's salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. The Messiah Israel was waiting for from the Old Testament was a savior to be revealed for the whole world. And we read of that in John 3.16 from the New Testament where it tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Although the Bible was written in the context of certain people in a certain place, its content was written for the whole world, for the revelation of God to all mankind. And so after the four Gospels that narrate the life and significance of Jesus, there flows on account of how the Gospel, the good news of Jesus, spread from Jerusalem to Rome in a single generation through the birth of the church at Pentecost. And as part of Jesus' final commission to his church, in this period, he commanded us in Mark 16, 15, that we go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. 
Matthew's gospel describes it in more detail when it says in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says here, I will be with you to the very end of the age. In the Old Testament, we have the age of the Father, then the New Testament age of the Son. And as we move through the fulfillment of salvation through Christ's death and resurrection, we entered what some may call the age of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples and continues to do so in this age we live in. Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8 that the Holy Spirit would come upon us in order for us to be witnesses. The age Jesus was describing to those disciples was the same age which extends into our present time. This is why the Bible is still so relevant to us now. We need to continue prioritizing God's word because it's still speaking. And John 8 verse 31 in the New Testament records the words of Jesus when he speaks to the Jews who believed in him. And he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. God's word should continue through your life today if you are his disciple. God continues to speak through what he has already spoken. And that means that the command in Matthew 28 verse 19 is still ours in 2021. That we are to make disciples of all nations. Dr. J.I. Packer said the Bible is God preaching. So once the inspired writings, inspiration, the inspired writings of the New Testament apostles and their authorized companions was completed, we were given in written form the final record of everything God wanted us to know about life, death and the resurrection of Jesus and its meaning for the lives of his followers for all time to the end of the age. So the Bible is revelation brought together by inspiration for our providence. This is the third word, providence. John Stott describes providence of scripture as God's inspiration in men arranging for the words he had spoken first to be written to form what we call scripture and then to be preserved across the centuries so as to be available to all people in all places at all times for their salvation and enrichment. It reminds me of Psalm 119 verses 105 in which the psalmist writes, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God has provided us with a light which reveals who he is and how to follow his footsteps in salvation. The word provides us with revelation for our salvation and the continuous work of transformation. And let us not forget that the greatest achievement in our lives is not what we do when it comes to behavior modification, but who we become in the process of transformation. Part of our transformational journey requires an intentional prioritizing and embracing of God's word as our spiritual sustenance for success. And so I want to ask you, will you join me in reprioritizing the word? 
Because outside of the simple rules we've tried to follow, changing our behavior, God's more interested in the transformation on the inside. And the providence for that transformation comes through his word, which is a revelation of who he is, inspired through the spirit of God working through man, so that today you and I can live in the fullness of the glorious way of life Christ has for his followers. I pray that the word of God would come alive in new ways for you today. I pray that you would intentionally begin prioritizing the word and experiencing the power of God doing immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. And so as you leave today, one of the ways you can intentionally move forward with this is to go onto our Southside website at southsidechurch.ca.za and click on the link to a Bible study that I've prepared that will give you a renewed angle, attitude, and perspective on how to read God's Word. Whether or not you are new at reading the Bible, you've just started to fall in the trap of feeling you're reading the same thing over and over, or you find it daunting when you start reading the Old Testament genealogy lists that leave you confused and with more questions than answers. This Bible teaching will help you. So go onto our website, click on to how to read the Bible, the link, and you will be able to this week embrace new ways of practically approaching the Word of God as you make it your priority again. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.